Good afternoon. I'm your host, Amanda Holloway, for Solving Water, a Xylem podcast. And I'm coming to you live from Expo International 2021 in Las Vegas. I can't tell you how good it feels to be back at a live trade show for the first time since February 2020. And I just want to thank all our listeners for joining us uh, for this special series about the mining industry. We have some great conversations in store for you, giving you perspectives that you won't find anywhere else. All right, I am back at Mine Expo 2021, and I'm here now with Chris Bauman, who is the Motors and Controls Engineering Supervisor at Xylem. Oh, yeah. And joining us today, um, really glad to have you here. Thank you very much. Happy you, to be here. <laughs> I, I usually start each podcast with, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do for Xylem? Okay, yeah. So. I was uh, brought up in the rental division under under Godwin Pumps. So what myself and my team handle is mostly temporary pumping systems and the monitoring and controlling of those pump systems. So anything from just knowing if the pumps are on or what they're doing to knowing the exact pressure and RPM of the engine, you know, oil pressure, whatever, anything you can think of, we're basically magicians. People call us and they say, hey, we need to do this. And we say, okay, we'll figure out how to do it. And typically it's like a very short lead time. It's emergency driven, it's rental. It's like we need it yesterday. So that's the quick summary. So it's like adrenaline filled. Yeah, like. we're the trauma surgeons of, <laughs> of, uh, of the pump industry. And so when we were talking earlier, you mentioned coding. Yeah, so yeah, so um, we kind of go to market two ways. We have more of like a plug and play uh, system that's called FST for field smart technology. And that's like your general one unit per pump that's going to monitor the pump and give you a general idea of what it's doing. Uh, you can start and stop the pump or, or the pump can run off its local controller based on like level or floats or normal stuff. Or the other side of what we do is like super custom. We need to take all these pumps and operate like one cohesive system. And we need to be able to log into one spot and see all what they're doing or take remote control if we need to. And that's where we use what we call advanced RMC. So advanced remote uh, monitoring and control panels. And those we code custom to the job. So we have some standardization to it to a point, but it's pretty much 100% custom for what that customer needs at a given time. What kind of what kind of applications do you primarily do these custom jobs for? Um, it's kind of all over. So it could be like dewatering pumping in a mine. It could be a sewage bypass. Anything where you don't want to pay, um, you know, to have a bunch of people on site having to watch the equipment 24/7. You'd rather just have a system watch it, and then it alerts you, it texts you, it calls you, it lets you know if you need to address it. But otherwise, it just runs itself. It's kind of like a set it and forget it thing. And then it lets you know if it needs attention rather than having to have people sit there and actually watch it constantly. So it's a little bit more like a modern version of pumping. Manned pump watch is, yeah, exactly. is the terminology that I was told yes. that people use in terms of hiring a guy or a gal mm -hmm. to watch the pump in case something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. And then that person calls somebody from Xylem, say, and then they'll come out and, and service the pump. In this case, you're basically creating like a web, a web app version of, of exactly that. yeah 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 so it's well we've actually marketed it at some points as like digital pump watch because it's basically like, all right you know maybe i normally need to have i'm used to having four or five guys on this site watching all these pumps or maybe i still want one there for the safety of having a person on site 
but rather than needing four or five guys, I can free up those other three or four to go do other work, and I can replace that with sensors and telemetry units to let me know if I need something. Um, but either way, you still can sometimes keep one person on site just to kind of hedge your bets and have a little level of comfort. Or, you know, we have a lot of systems that run fully automated. We did a, we did a bypass in Harrisburg for the last, like, 10 months. It just came off rent. It was five electric pumps, seven diesel pumps, like... 60 million gallons a day bypass major bypass fully automated one panel ran everything and it went flawlessly for like 10 months i went out there for a startup it took a week or two to get everything dialed in and after that it just ran itself like worry-free fantastic so that's it's upfront time and upfront you know investment but it well pays for itself in the long run so then talk to me about how how business is going in your neck of the woods in terms of are people adopting this technology are you finding like an uptick especially since we've got an aging workforce we've Mm -hmm. got um a scarce workforce Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we had a pandemic yeah that helps so uh, we had a lot going on that would make it hard Mm -hmm. to to have a man pump watcher have somebody on site all Absolutely. the time. Absolutely. Yeah. So even pre-pandemic, for years, at least on the in the Xylem and Godwin side, we saw an uptick every year in how much people wanted to have digital access to their equipment rather than just calling a guy to say, "Hey, how everything's going." Um, so it was already on a rise, but definitely the pandemic. I feel like kind of accelerated it because this is technology that's existed in like a plant environment for decades like looking at equipment and having it tied into a central system isn't new um, but in the temporary system it wasn't always practical prior like there's kind of a lag in temporary pumping um, so it was already on the uptick but then as you know probably with remote working the same idea right a lot of people were skeptical about remote work prior to the pandemic and now a lot of people realize it's kind of works fine it's people if anything are often more productive at home so we definitely have had some customers that were typically like averse to remote monitoring because they felt like no i need a person there or multiple people in case there's a problem i don't trust machinery and now because they were kind of forced to based on not having a workforce or whatever or not being you know not wanting to put a bunch of people in the same area from a covid standpoint they've gotten more comfortable with it but we definitely still face people who are much more comfortable with a person and it's it's a conversation and trying to educate them on look like you can still have people on site but you can reduce that and be more efficient by adding in these sensors and these remote monitoring units and kind of get the best of both worlds often it's a compromise so for for mining what are you what are you primarily doing with for the mining audience is it temporary systems for the mining industry Um, or is it more more permanent installation I'd say it's a mix of the two. For me personally, I still mostly work with the temporary stuff, but even if it's, it might be temporary for them, but they may own it. So we may sell it to them, but for them it might be pumping in this location for two months and then being moved to this location for another two months or a week here. So most of our stuff is like really over-engineered from a robustness standpoint. It's not the same electrical cabinet that would go inside a building with air conditioning and all that. It's a lot more robust, but it's the same technology inside the enclosure and it allows them to move it around and use it in different places. So even if we're like for us, it's a sale, it's still being treated as temporary equipment on the job site. So that's often what we're doing, especially with, um, with FST because it's uh, cell and satellite where most vendors are going to market with just cellular or just Wi-Fi or just Bluetooth. Ours being cell and sat for mines especially often don't have good cell service. If they do have good cell, great. But if they don't, it'll flip automatically to satellite. And then they still get all the data they need, all the access they need without having to worry about, oh, I hope I have cell service there. 
Like, well, we've got that built in. We got, you got to take care of. So just another great reason to invest in. Yeah. Like it's, it's definitely money up front, right? Like, so it's, I feel like it's the conversation you have with any industry and anything, even just like with, with like people within a company, right? Like people worry about how much we're going to spend on, you know, headcount or this or that or resources. But if you can show that you're going to invest in something up front and over time, it's going to pay you back, you know, it's worth it. Well, that's often the conversation we're having about remote control type stuff. Like, look, yes, it costs more today, but if you average out the next six months and it could cost significantly less than paying someone to sit there and watch the equipment 24 hours a day for six months straight. So for sure, for sure. Um, so talk to me about, uh, challenges that technology solves for. Like we talked about aging mm-hmm. workforce, right? Mm-hmm. Scarce scarcity in yep. workforce. Yep. What are some other challenges that benefit mm-hmm. from using this technology? Yeah. So another big one is preventative maintenance. Like when you have a person watching something, they're often reacting to a problem, right? Where with machinery and sensors and controls, you're reading things that the human eye can't read. You're looking at vibration, you're looking at temperature, you're looking at all these things. And therefore, before something actually breaks, you can typically say, hey, this thing's gonna break if you don't come address it. And you can get that text or that phone call or that email to the right people who can then address it, where when it's a human watching it or even like even some sensors, depending on what you're doing, it's more just waiting till there's a failure to then let you know, hey, now it's broken, you need to come fix it. Where if you can do a better job with data analytics on the front end and predict those failures, you can warn and be more proactive. Even something as simple on the temporary side, we see this a lot, is fueling your equipment, like making sure there's diesel fuel in the tank. Well, if you're just relying on a person, they might fall asleep, they're watching Netflix on their truck, whatever, where if you have an alert that calls you when you get to 30% of your fuel tank, I don't care if that person's not paying attention. You're getting a phone call at the 30% mark that says, hey, you have you know this much fuel left. That's five hours, that's four hours. So you know how much time you have to react so that you're not paying somebody to drive six hours down into a mine or wherever to then bleed the air out of an engine because you ran it out of fuel. So like it's something, sometimes it's as simple as that. Sometimes it's as complicated as a bunch of different sensors predicting when a seal is gonna fail, but it's the same concept. It's prevent the maintenance or predict the failure rather than wait till the failure happens and then go, oh darn, what do I do now? Right. Like I gotta call somebody and bring in another pump or another whatever, or a generator or what have you. So that's probably the, the biggest benefits that we see to you know sell to customers is, you know we're gonna predict your failures and prevent them rather than wait till they happen. Which is really a twofold win if you think Absolutely. about it because A, you don't have to pay for the repair when it fails, mm-hmm. like, or a new product if you need it. Yeah, right? exactly. And then B, you're also extending the life cycle of that product. Absolutely, yeah. Like no one wants to replace the seal in their pump end every six months. But if they don't, you know, if they're applying it in a way that's not ideal and they don't have something to tell them, hey, this isn't bad, you know, the human eye just goes, oh, yeah, it's pumping water, so must be working. Right. Until the seal fails. Yeah. And then you also don't lose downtime, which is in a mine is extraordinarily expensive yeah like you see requirements to have a hundred percent redundancy all the time well with like bypassing or certain dewatering applications and it's nice but it's not always necessary if you have some redundancy and then better predictive you know technology you don't need to back up everything because you're going to find out before the failure rather than waiting until there's a failure and just relying on having twice as much equipment as you actually need to cover the failure so why else are customers asking for these type of custom controls um, also like efficiency. So like old school from a plumbing standpoint, 
throw a pump over here, let it run at a single speed and just put a pair of floats on it and just let it run as hard as it can all the time isn't good for the equipment from a life cycle standpoint like we touched on before but it's also not the most efficient way to use your fuel or your electric depending on what your power source is your natural gas whatever it is where the modern i'll call it modern technology because like i said it's been around for a lot longer in like plant environments is like variable frequency drives and custom controls allows you to run the equipment better from an energy use standpoint too like you can minimize your kilowatt hours or your diesel fuel or your natural gas use and therefore save money on that in addition to the pump itself or the generator whatever it is lasting longer so it's like two three four fold like i don't know there's yeah. a million reasons to use to do it this. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely for sure what about safety safety so there's two ways to look at that like some people feel like having people on site is more safe because you have multiple people who can kind of watch each other right so there's there's that aspect of it but also from a even if you have a person or two on site they're not seeing, like I said before, they're not seeing all the measurements that instrumentation can see. So there's things that you can predict with that instrumentation, like major like engine runaways or something like that, or discharging water into a river that you know normally is fine, but the pH is out of spec. Or if you have a pH probe or whatever it is monitoring it, you're preventing that and you're not hurting the water supply. So like there's both sides of the coin to that, but generally speaking, I think there's a lot more benefits from a safety aspect to using controls instrumentation than just relying on, oh, I'm just gonna put a bunch of people on site and throw you know, bodies at it, where if you do it a little bit more intelligently with technology, you can still have somebody there uh, as needed. It all comes down to the same productivity we talked about with maintenance. It also applies to safety. Well, it's also, my guess is a, a more cost-effective way mm -hmm. of, of, of how things are trending, right? So I'm walking the show floor this morning and I'm seeing a lot of these, like, they look like huge gaming systems, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a big seat, big leather seat, and there's like 12 screens <laughs> and all the, I mean, it's like being a pilot now mm -hmm, and you're, mm -hmm. you're remotely operating equipment anyways. And mm -hmm. I got to believe much of that is for safety reasons in general, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like, if you don't need to necessarily be near the equipment or be near a site that itself is inherently dangerous, like, what if you're at a quarry where you have to, uh, you have to blast every day at noon or whatever, right? If all your pumping can be autonomous and all your power supply to that equipment can be autonomous, why would you put a person on site and have to worry about, oh, we have to make sure we get them out before we blast? Because, like, what if somebody says, oh, yeah, I know you're blasting at one, I'll be out, and you don't, you forget to double check or whatever, I don't know. But, but yeah. The, the point is, if you don't have that person there, there is no risk of that person getting hurt or you know what have you so it's definitely there's i mean you could look at it in any plant environment there's a ton of controls built around safety and the same thing applies to the temporary system so what else what recent mining jobs have you worked on that stand out to you um one really interesting one we did was actually i think it was pre-pandemic it was an operation that had a tailing spawn and they didn't have a way to discharge it um and like treat it so the idea was they wanted to evaporate it, and we see this fairly often so using our the vfds that we are variable frequency drives to drive the motors at the right speed rather than just assuming standard speed is you know happy we were able to design the system to like pretty much nail the amount of evaporation they needed uh, per year so basically as they were using process water and dumping it to this tailings pond we were evaporating roughly the same rate on a given annual year so we were keeping their pond where it needed to be rather than them having this bulk of water that they have to figure out a way to treat or do something with 
you know, so that was something interesting. Just we were able to automate that and look at the level in the pond and look at how the pumps were performing and to make sure that we were evaporating enough and speed up if we needed to, you know, pump more. Basically, you're pumping through nozzles, so you get little bubble, uh, little atomized pieces of water mists that then evaporate into the atmosphere easier. Oh, I was just going to ask it. So you're basically is it dewatering. Temperature? I, I didn't know if it was like temperature controlled. Like, do you are you constantly fluctuating the temperature of the water as you know it relates to the air in order to drive that evaporation? But it sounds like. You're basically no. <laughs> looking at level and pumping enough through the nozzle systems and through like water cannon type things to get enough mist into the air to allow it to evaporate, right? Because the top level of a pond evaporates very slowly, but if you mist that up in the air, it evaporates very easily. Evaporation is a surface area driven thing. So, so interesting. those are really fun. Those are really fun systems that. to work on. What's another really cool project you've worked on? So what we did was a, it was a boosting system down in a mine in Latin America, but it was basically uh, the call I got, this was a few years ago, was we're, uh, we're constantly replacing seals in our pumps. And what's wrong with your pumps? Why are you replacing seals? So I was flown down there and I went into the mine and we installed a bunch of suction and discharge transducers. They'll get pressure in and out of each pump in the system. And because they were pumping like really nasty stuff, it wasn't just water, we had to put the transducers on these like rings of oil that see the pressure, but it's a bladder. So all the junky stuff doesn't destroy the transducer. Sometimes instrumentation can't handle all the like janky stuff that a mine is going through. Sure. So you use these bladders to get the pressure reading without actually damaging the transducer. Well, now with those pressure readings, we can see if the pump is operating where it should be. Pumps aren't just like a generic tool that you can just throw out there and it's always gonna work. You have to treat it correctly. So being able to look at those values and predictive maintenance, if the pumps are having an issue, then that allowed us to significantly prolong the life of the pump and the seals and get rid of the downtime. And you know, the customer thought we had a pump issue, but it was an application issue. So we got to go down, talk to the customer, educate them a little bit, but like you have to do it in a way that's constructive, right? You can just be like, you're doing it wrong. Like you have to do it like, <laughs> right, oh, no, we see sure. this all the time. Here's, here's a way to do it better. And here's some instrumentation that it's gonna cost some money up front, but it's gonna save you a lot of time and effort and headache and sweat in the long run. So it was, they bought in like myself, and my director of engineering uh, at the time, now global product manager, Mike Ramos, we went down there and at different times and had kind of similar conversations with them and sold them on the idea. They, you know, they trusted us to, you know, to cut the check to install all this stuff. And they're like, this better work, it's a lot of money. And we're like, don't worry. And then at the end, they're like, yeah, that saved us like tenfold in the long run. This so it was like- what Bill was saying earlier. Bill was here earlier, Bill Beasley. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, one of his favorite or most memorable projects he worked on was similar in that we weren't the, the least expensive option, no. but we had the most expertise mm-hmm. and the best equipment behind that. Yeah, like we, I'll be honest, we often aren't. Like Godwin and Xylem aren't, often aren't the cheap option, but we are the long-term cheap option. But if you only look at day one PO you're cutting, you're kind of like cutting off your nose to sweat your face. Like you're not looking at the long-term cost of ownership. Like we know a lot more about buying a car now than we used to 20 years ago, right? People know to look at cost of ownership and maintenance and how to take care of it long-term. The same applies to industrial equipment, regardless of the injury, whether it be uh, industry, whether it be mining, you know, sewage, you know, just general construction dewatering, well point dewatering. The same thing applies. You're buying an asset and you have to look at the total cost of ownership, not just the day one cost. So that's often what we pride ourselves on is we cost more upfront, but we cost less in the long run. So do you do the actual coding, like computer coding? Um, a little bit. So we have, 
Well, I'll be honest. So we have a software engineer on our team, uh, Jesse, who's brilliant. He does like the FST code for the box that goes on the pump. Yeah. And then we have guy, other guys who work in a software engineering team for what we call the UI, the user interface, the website. Um, and those guys do coding that's way above what I do. What I do is more like, okay, is the level or pressure at this point turn on or turn off a pump or call this person or text this person? It's more very basic coding, but it's still it's new it's like i said before it's kind of new for rental like it's still not a thing that people have been doing for very long and it still makes people's lives significantly easier well yeah i was mostly just curious as to what kind of degree you would have but i know your and your title is engineering supervisor yeah. so my guess is your background is in engineering to but a point, then yeah. I didn't know, like, because you were talking about coding, I'm like, well, maybe it was computer science. Yeah, no, I went to school for chemical engineering. I thought I was going to work at, like, a pharmaceutical plant when I got out of school. Um, but I joined, um, you know, Godwin Xylem at the time as a, like, a pump application engineer. So I worked on just sizing pumps, piping, you know, more the hydraulic side. And then I moved to the controls team um, when, you know, we had a, an open spot. We wanted to expand the team, I think, six years ago, roughly. Um, and just kind of like took to it like a fish in water. I had no code background, no electrical background in school. I just learned pretty much all of it on the job or like self-taught. Um, and it's a lot of it's specific to our industry. Like there's definitely stuff that we do that is not the same as if you were going to go be a software engineer for like Google. Like it's definitely a different feel. Like people assume that the word engineer is all like the same or that yeah. coding is all the same, but there's definitely a lot of nuance and industry specifics. So I, I definitely know a lot about uh, the electrical and instrumentation around pumps and a little bit about coding. Um, and then I have guys underneath me that are my team that are much smarter than I am when it comes to actually writing code and you know doing software development. It's cool. Yeah, it's fun. Well, yeah, it's, it sounds like you really like your job, which is great. Yeah, it's definitely the beauty of rental too is it's different every day like i do not have monotony like ever like nothing's monotonous like and there are days when that's challenging but generally uh like to the reasons like with that mind down in latin america like when you get to put out all that work and all that effort and then you get that buy-in and people are like acknowledge like yeah this actually was like well worth our time and well worth you know, I mean like us working together on this prop solving this problem it's like super rewarding that's great so maybe you maybe you just answered this, but I I have a signature question mm -hmm. on this season of the podcast, okay. and that is, what is the most important thing you've learned in the water business so far? Oh, in the water business, um, I'm not sure if this is specific to the water business, but I, I think engineers can learn a lot from this. Is you're not always the smartest person in the room, and don't assume you are just because you have like a fancy degree. Like I learned so much in my first two to three years working with all the diesel mechanics and guys who actually know how the pumps work hands-on where I came out of school with like a very theoretical degree right like I didn't run a 700 horsepower engine when I was in college but I got to run one at Godwin and I got to put my hands on it and get dirty so I, I put a lot of stock in uh, really investing time to understand the people you work with and understand like their viewpoints of things because I think regardless of industry engineers have this like stigma of like thinking they always know and if you are more open-minded you're going to learn a lot from the people who don't have a degree but have been doing it a lot longer than you and know a lot more than you about your industry whether it be you know water or pharmaceutical or energy or whatever it's just like value other people's opinions and listen don't just think you're like the smartest person in the room all the time it's a really really good point um and also it's curious just while you were talking, I what popped into my head is like we make doctors go through residency because you know, 
they yeah, operate yeah. on people and they like give mm-hmm. medical advice to people and like they can't just do that in a vacuum, right? You can't yeah, just no. get the degree. No, and not then with engineering. Be like, okay, you're free to practice. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they don't do the same thing with this with engineering and, and at least yeah, like in some some, some schools do really well, right? Some schools have like really cool co-op programs stuff like that, but like in general. At least I can only speak to American education system. I feel like it's a lot more about like getting students in and out and getting the degrees and getting the money for their degree than like making sure they are actually competent in what they're doing. Like they know a lot of foundational stuff, but like I knew a lot of foundational theory coming out of school. But you're still going to learn a lot of what you do on the job, specific to your industry, specific to what you're doing every day. Right. Like from the people who've been doing it for years. Like so. I know at Xylem we offer internships. Yes, that goes along. Um, and a lot of them are engineering focused and mm-hmm. I mean some of these some of these students are producing like patented yeah, yeah. stuff yeah, yeah. And in when, their th- 8 weeks or 12 weeks they're with us yeah, yeah. it, it definitely good. goes a long way like I had I had an internship with a, uh, a precious metals company when I was in school and it gave me such an appreciation for what they did like beforehand I went into a thing I think I knew what I was doing and that was like my first wake up call like you don't know anything you like you know some things but you don't really know and it was it was very humbling and it gave me a really good perspective before I got into like an actual workforce where I feel like some people some engineers don't get that and they think they're you know hot stuff coming out of school and like I don't know I'm just a big proponent of go get your hands dirty go work with the people with the boots on the ground and understand their pain points and don't come to them with a solution before hearing their problems like know what they actually need not what you think they need well that's a great piece of advice and a great way to end this episode i really appreciate you coming out chris happy to be Um, here yeah great meeting you today and and thanks for the chat you too thanks for having me the solving water podcast is produced and distributed by xylem a global water technology company of more than 16,000 employees committed to solving critical water and infrastructure challenges worldwide. Stream, download, and subscribe.